Hello there. Today we're talking about preventing heat injury. What are ways that we can decrease the risk of our dogs being negatively impacted by the heat, whether it's heat injury, heat stroke, stroke, heat exhaustion. Um, this is a topic that's such an important topic. Um, there are dogs out there that are suffering from the heat. Not only are you in danger of heat stroke, but even just kind of minimizing the impact of the heat when you're working your dog and having effectiveness and performance, trying to maintain peak performance in your dog and having your dog working well, whether it's in sport or work, the, the better that we can attend to this and help prep our dogs to be able to handle working in the heat and withstanding the demands of, of working in the heat, the better our dog's going to be, perform. But I also want to start by stating it does not have to be hot outside in order for your dog to suffer from heat stroke. Um, it does not have to be hot outside for your dog to suffer from heat injury or to have the, the, the temperature, the heat outdoors, the changing climate to have a negative impact on their performance and how we're defining heat and what is that kind of that, that point where the dog is in a higher danger, it, it really can greatly vary. So what I wanna talk to you about today is what are some things that we can do to minimize the risk, to decrease the risk, things we need to be aware of, things that we can do to help prevent, and also things to be thinking about if we do start to think, maybe our, if our dog is entering the, that red zone of we think they're suffering from, from heat stroke, immediate emergency room. You, you need immediate medical care. But there's so much that we should be doing and can be doing before the dog ever gets to that stage. And so the idea here is to learn as much as we can about what to recognize, what to do, what, what we can do to help prevent it or minimize the chance so that we don't actually get to that degree to have that kind of a negative impact. So um, Barb, thanks for joining us. Yeah, the humidity, the humidity is, is huge. The humidity is a huge thing. I'm gonna be giving some examples for that. So um, I have some slides here. I don't have a, a handout ready, but um, I am happy to share the slides. So um, it, give me a few days to get the slides together. But if you're interested in having me share the slideshow that I'm, I'm gonna share it right here, um, put your name, just indicate, say slides or you know, please share. And I will reach out to you and uh, get your email address and I will send you the slides by email or just private message me and send me your email and I'll get the, I'm happy to get the slides out to you. So um, yeah, Charlie, it's, this is a topic that I like to every year every year in sp springtime in the United States. I know we have people here that are in the Southern hemisphere. They're going into winter, we're coming into spring. But every time we head into springtime, changing weather, warming weather, um, and we're actually getting closer to summer, right? <laughs> May and June. But pretty much anytime we're seeing the changing climate and, and weather getting warmer, this is a topic I like to revisit every single year. Now, if you are in a climate right now that is not hot, or if you are actually entering winter, um, please, please stay and listen. Because like I said, I've heard of dogs suffering heat stroke, you know, when it's it's like 40 degrees outside. Um, I've heard of dogs in danger of heat stroke when it's near freezing. So um, so please keep that in mind. So uh, for a lot of us though, in the Northern hemisphere, we're definitely seeing warmer temperatures. So yeah, just put, uh, thank you, Charlie. Just let me know um, in, the, in the comments if you want the slides. Like I said, it might take me a couple of days. I need to get them together um get, collect email addresses reach out but just let me know if you're interested and i'm happy to share the slides with you so um let me i've got a couple examples i am going to be giving you some kind of some of the facts around this and some details but i also want to give you some personal experiences and some stories behind it um some of you might have you might have heard some of these stories but to me um the stories and the real life examples to me is what makes things really stick stick in our brain and makes us remember this is Knox. Um, this is one of my Malinois. And I've got a couple examples here of things I've learned along the way. Uh, I definitely have learned through, I, I researched this, but you know, I make mistakes and I've done things through trial and error and we learn things along the way. So I wanna share some things with uh, you that I've experienced. So hopefully you won't have to experience and you'll prevent this from happening from your dogs. Um, the first example I wanted to give is, um, this is an example when we were training uh, and it was a weekend training, we were doing protection sports. 
it wasn't super hot. If it's really hot, I don't work my dog. Um, but it probably might have been in the upper 70s, low 80s. You know, uh, it was it's hot, but not like some people that are training in parts of the U.S. where it's like 90 degrees. Um, we have a baby pool, and we would put water in the baby pool. Any of you do? Um, hey, Denise, um, Charlie, any of Barb, any of you train where you have like a baby pool and you fill it with water? And then when the dog's exercising, you want to cool them off, you go put them in the baby pool. I love, 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 I love having the baby pool. Um, the idea is to get their belly, like their armpits, you know, right right um, up in, in the groin area and having those keep um, the paw pads. These are key areas where you have uh, the blood flow and uh, you're having you're having the blood flowing closer to the surface of the skin, cool off those areas. It can help cool them off faster. Things like the inside of the ears, my dogs aren't so crazy about having like cold water and ice on the inside of their ears. <laughs> so I really don't do much to the inside of their ears, but the inside of the ears, the belly, kind of the armpits, the groin, the paw pads, they, that's another area. Um, so when you immerse them, you put them in the baby pool and it's kind of their whole belly, their groin, all of those areas are, are in cool water. I love, love using the baby pools. So, um, ooh, Erica, it was 102 in your backyard today. <laughs> so, um, yeah, not good. So we were training. It was not 102, but it was warm. Um, average humidity, not super, super high humidity. This was up, I think it was, uh, oh gosh, New Jersey or New York. And basically, we were training. We went to cool off, and I, um, I put them in the baby pool to cool off. This actually, I've seen this with a couple dogs, not, not necessarily just Knox. But what happens... A lot of times what people do is you take your dog, they want, you need to cool them off and you'll go put them in the baby pool and just put them in a down stay and kind of just let them hang out in the baby pool for a while. Another thing people will do is they'll go put them um, in the shade underneath the trees in the shade, put them in a down stay and let them just hang out there in a down stay. This happened to me twice. I put my dog under the tree to cool off in a down stay and I was talking to the trainer and then I also put them in, a, in the baby pool in a down stay. And, um, what happened was I didn't, I was standing next to him, but he was in there for a little while. And what happened, I went to get him up and he was actually wa a little wobbly on his feet. And, um, one of the things I learned from that was when you're, this was before I knew what some of the research showed about the body temperature can, um, can continue to rise when exercise, I'm going to cite this in a little bit in another slide. There's research that shows that um, when dogs are done with the activity, there was a research on search and rescue dogs and they were monitoring body temperature before, during and after searching. And you would think whenever you stop searching and the dog's kind of starting to rest, that, that the temperature immediately starts to go down. Well, what actually happened was eight, 10, 12 minutes later, after exercise had stopped, the body temperature continued to go up. And, um, and it was not like an, an odd occurrence, like they were seeing this in, in repeatedly. So what happens is we just go and we're done exercising and training. We put our dog under the tree in the shade or we take our dog and we put them in the baby pool and we think they're cooling off. What can actually be happening is their body temperature continues to rise. And just because they're in the shade doesn't mean they're going to cool off enough. And just because they're in water, especially if it's a baby pool and that water um, warms up pretty quickly and also the water next to their, their skin is going to get warmed up. So just because they're in water doesn't mean that you're guaranteed their body temperature is coming down. They, they can still get hot in the water. So what happens is we put them in a down state thinking that they're cooling off when in reality their, their body temperature can be going up, up and up. And if we just put them in a down state and don't come and get them and check them and make sure they're, they're recovering well, your, the body temperature may be going higher when we think it's going lower. And if, the, and if the dog's in a down stay, we don't see some of the early signs of such an unsteadiness on their feet getting wobbly. And that's exactly what happened um, with my dog. Luckily, I didn't have him in the downstay for long, but I got him up and I saw that he was getting a little bit wobbly. And I was like, ooh, when he was in the shade, I was like, oh, I have to, I need to get him cooled off. And I need to, you know, quickly get him into some cold water, get him in the car, air conditioning. And so I was able to take action. Um, when he was in the baby pool, um, he wasn't that bad. I could just see he was starting to get a little over, a little overheated. Um, I just kind of would walk him around, cool him off, got colder water, and I would just get him out briefly, make sure he was still steady on his feet, make sure he, you know, he was bright eyed and bushy tailed and, and looking for signs of heat distress, a heat stroke. 
so that's one of the things that I just wanted to warn people about that I've learned was, you know, don't just put your dog in the shade. Don't just put them in the baby pool and just leave them there. I like to every, every minute, every two minutes, I will call my dog. I, I will even put them in the baby pool and make them stand, stand, sit, go back into a down stand. And I'm watching my dog like a hawk looking for anything, any signs that he's um, starting to struggle with the heat. Um, so that is something that, um, a couple things to learn from that. Again, I wasn't familiar with the research on the body temperature continuing to go up at that time. This was years ago, but, um, but do know that just because the activity has stopped does not mean the body temperature is starting to cool off. It may be a while before the body temperature starts to cool down. So the last thing you want to do is take them from exercise and put them straight into the car in a, in a crate. And even if the car is air conditioning in the crate, you're not getting that airflow right? Dogs don't sweat like we do, right? They're going to be doing it through panting. Um, like I said, you might have through the pads of their feet, but we need that airflow and cool air and airflow um, that's going to help them cool off. So make sure you're with right there next to your dog, um, get them in some cold water, you put them in the shade, you know, get them in air conditioning, but don't just put them in a down or put them in the crate and then leave them. Come back periodically. I stay right by my dog, get them out, just briefly, just make sure the dog's still looking good, is cooling off, and then, you know, you need to put them back in the water, put them back in the shade. So that is something, um, just a, a personal uh, example of some of the things that you can do and also things to be aware of. And I'm going to give you some more signs and, and, and things to watch for. So who's at risk? Who's at risk? I don't have absolutely every risk category listed here, but I'm going to list a few here. So some of the things that we know of who, who's at risk is if your dog is not in shape, if a dog is um, not in excellent physical condition, they're at a higher risk of, of feeling the impact of the heat. So if you have a couch potato dog and you have a dog that is not physically you know, fit and you don't have your dog on a nice exercise program, even though your dog may be skinny, it doesn't necessarily mean that your dog is physically fit, having good you know, overall body condition and good cardiovascular system. It's like humans. You, you'll see people that look really, really skinny and, you know, they can still get a heart attack. <laughs> you know, it's not just, you know, obesity that kills. There's other things. And just because a dog is low, lower on body fat doesn't mean that that dog is, you know, nice and fit and at their peak. So obesity definitely can put your dog at risk being out of shape. But even if your dog is not obese, the more in shape your dog is, the better your dog is going to be able to handle the heat. Really, really important for your sport and working dogs. Um, the dogs that are doing jobs and active is, you know, having a regular fitness program and really having your dog in peak physical condition. That's one of the best things you can do if your dog is struggling. If you have a working dog struggling to work in the heat, if you have a sport dog struggling to work in the heat, what is your dog? What, what is your physical fitness level for your dog? So that is that is one of the things that you could um, could do. Um, uh, Charlie said, "Would uh, wetting the dog in a pool with a quick uh, removal followed by shade um, accelerate uh, the heat?" I, I, you know, Charlie, I would say a lot. There's a couple different conditions there, depending on the temperature of the water, depending on the temperature of the air, and also the humidity of the air um, for how quickly it's going to help. Um, I've actually not done this and I, and I want to do it, but one of the things, uh, I believe it was uh, Dr. Janice Becker, uh, uh, this was um, uh, uh, Dr. Janice Baker, um, also, I think also Cindy Otto, Dr. Cindy Otto mentioned this, I think in one of our, one of the conferences, but um, they they did some, some activities with dogs where they had a little ice cooler and um, what you do is you put water in there with ice, like a, a slush and have like a rag in there. And then you're you're kind of wetting down and using the rag. What I'll do is I'll carry a lot of extra water. I give my dog water to cool him off, but I also have extra water. And if I don't have a baby pool, I kind of like splash it on the dog and get it on his stomach, armpits, groin. But uh, if you don't have a lot of water with you, you run out of water pretty quickly. And so like, I'll want to conserve it so the dog can drink water and I'll splash some water on them. But if you um, have it in an ice cooler and you have it uh, with the ice and the water and a rag, um, you're not going to be just kind of pouring water and losing water as quickly. Another thing I've seen people do um, is when you go to things like Home Depot and you know how they, they have these big kind of... Um, uh, like tubs. It's like for spraying insecticide on the grass. 
So you can actually buy the empty containers with the, sp uh, the spray pump and it really pumps it out really strong. And I've seen people take those, uh, I think it's for like um, putting things on the grass and stuff. It's not like a regular hand pump, it's a powerful pump. So it's almost like having a hose, having a water hose. And so I don't know how many gallons, they have different sizes, but filling that with the water and then having that pump and it actually comes out as if, you know, the, the force of it is like having the water hose and having that nice and cold. That's another thing I've seen people when they didn't have a baby pool or have access to, you know, just continuous running water. So those are some things, but, um, but yeah, you have your dog in shape, a good exercise program, a good fitness program, keep your dog, um, in a good body condition. No, no fat dogs. <laughs> um, older dogs could be at risk. Um, dogs with, you know, thick, uh, thick fur coats, uh, double layer coats, um, black dogs, you know, the, my Doberman, um, my, my Doberman who was black, oh my gosh, she'd be out in the sun in South Carolina just for a little while. You put your hand on her fur so much hotter than if, you know, Bachi is a real light colored Brown, almost like a yellowish Brown. <laughs> and, uh, and you could, you could feel the difference of the, of the sun shining on their fur. Um, dogs that have injuries or diseases that affect breathing. So uh, some examples are like the um, laryngeal paralysis, collapsed trachea. So dogs that may have some kind of breathing issues to begin with, um, or some kind of disorders or diseases that affect the breathing, they're going to be at a higher risk. Um, the brachia, uh, brachycephalic breeds. So uh, the dogs with the kind of short broad pug nose type faces, uh, those dogs also are gonna be at a higher risk. Um, working your dogs in hot, humid climate. So the humidity, of course, the heat makes it worse. The humidity is gonna make it um, harder for the dog uh, to, to, to cool off. So the humidity, definitely, uh, I've I, oh, I got a story to share with you with the humidity. Um, sudden changes in temperature, sudden increase in temperature. So this is a key area is when we go from like uh, winter to spring right? Or think about whenever it's um, early summer or late spring and all of a sudden you get like, I saw this up in Maine, like they've been having an average of like 40 and 50 degree weather. And then all of a sudden today it said like 74. Today it was supposed to be 74. That is not normal for Maine right now um, in the northern part of Maine to have 74 degree weather right now. So everybody's used to having 40, 50 degree weather, maybe low 60s. All of a sudden, in one day, it jumps 15, 20 degrees. So what's happening here is your dog is not conditioned to working in that temperature. So anytime you're, you know, you're having a big jump in temperature and you're used to training in 50 degree weather, and now all of a sudden you're training in 75 degree weather or 70 degree weather, even if it's just 10 degrees difference. My dogs, I notice a big difference if they're used to training in 50 degree weather, and then all of a sudden it jumps to 60 degrees or if we're used to doing it in 60 degrees and it jumps up to 70. So any kind of sudden change in temperature like that where the temperature jumps up, it could be, um, I've heard of this, a sled dog, sled dogs that are like um, used to working in below zero temperatures, uh, Fahrenheit. And then all of a sudden it jumps up to 30 degrees. You know, if you live in South Carolina, you say 30 degrees, there's no way my dog's <laughs> at risk of heat stroke at 30 degrees. But if you have a dog out in Alaska and those dogs are used to, you know, running and competing and pulling sleds and they're used to doing it in, you know, minus five, minus 10 degree weather. And then all of a sudden you're training in 30, 35 degree weather. That's a huge jump and the dogs aren't conditioned for it. So that's also going to put your dog at risk. Um, and then I, I added this. I didn't in some of the research articles I was reading. It didn't say this, but I know this from like personal experience is the personality, the drive level of the dog. So my Doberman, um, she didn't have real, real high drive. If she got tired and hot, like she wouldn't work. And if she would work, it was like, you know, she'd put like 30% effort into it. <laughs> right. She's like she would self-regulate. Self my Malinois, they don't self-regulate. And if I tell them to go, they will go. If I throw a ball, they will throw a ball. And so um, from my experience, when you've got the dogs of the higher drive and the kind of personality where they'll just kind of go and go, and um, if they're feeling physical distress, um, you know, feeling a little bit hot, um, you know, there's some distractions. Some dogs, they're done or they'll shut down. Other dogs, you have to have a high, high, high level of stress or, or physical discomfort for those dogs to stop. So if you, from my experience, when I've got those really highly driven dogs, 
um, I have to watch out for them because if I throw the ball one, two, three, five, you know, five times too many, they will keep chasing it until they're at risk of heat stroke. And so some, like I said, some dogs will self-regulate, they'll slow themselves down or avoidance behavior. Some dogs will, they, they will ignore you and they won't listen to you. They'll go to the, go look for shade and they'll completely blow you off. And, um, other dogs, like I said, they'll just keep working and they'll get hot. They'll get uncomfortable, but they will keep going, um, until they physically cannot go anymore. And then you're looking at it being too late. Um, so those, those are some of the things. And, um, and th there are, I highly encourage if you've not done some readings and done, you know, just reading different articles online, looking at some of the research, um, I highly encourage you, especially if you're active with your dog, if you have a sport dog or working dog to do some of, do some reading. And, um, there, there's all, you know, there's a lot of details out there. I could talk for a couple hours just on this. So I'm hitting kind of the highlights, but the more educated you are and what to watch for is good. Um, the other thing, let me add this too. The, um, this was not in some of the research articles I was reading is, um, be very, very, very observant of your dog. Be a very observant of what your dog is. What is normal for your dog? What is normal breathing for your dog? What is normal exertion for your dog? And be very, very in tune with your dog. One of the best ways to prevent um, heat injury, heat distress, and heat stroke is to know your dog really, really well and to catch the signs of, of kind of heat distress and, and, and potential signs of, of your dog suffering from the heat, catching those very, very, very early signs. One of the biggest things that I've seen, even with very, very knowledgeable dog trainers, is they are missing a lot of these kind of subtle signs that our dogs are giving us before they actually start getting into some serious heat distress. So um, observing your dog and knowing knowing all the phases. What is your dog when your dog's comfortable and not working? What is your dog when he's moderately working and moderately distressed during work? Um, knowing how long does it take to your dog for the temperature and for your dog to cool down? How quickly does your dog bounce back? What is normal for your dog? And most people don't critically observe their dogs that closely until they have a problem. And so in my online courses, when I'm teaching about canine fitness, I'm always teaching people to develop these very critical observation skills where you observe your dog like a hawk when they're when they're healthy and there's no problems. You watch them just as closely as when there is a problem, because I do find that your dog is at a higher risk if you just are not observant. If you're missing some of the subtle signs or you're not aware of those subtle changes where your dog is kind of taking it to the next level and you're kind of you're missing that. Um, so that is, that is, uh, definitely something, um, to think about. Um, so let me get, let me show you now also, in addition to the, um, the dogs, what do we know about who's at risk? What do we actually know? What is some of the research and what are the, the things that we know as far as, um, heat injury, heat stroke, and, uh, what does it mean to help prevent our dogs from, from being negatively impacted this by this? So, um, Dr. Janice Baker, she's um, she's got some great, great, great resources. She's done, um, uh, I've gone to some of, if you ever get a chance to hear her talk or do any of her um, course, she does uh, workshops, she has some online stuff, but I highly, highly recommend that you check out her stuff. But uh, this is a quote uh, or a paraphrase from her. Heat injury cannot be pre um, predicted or defined by body temperature alone. There's too much variance between dogs um, and conditions and measurement methods. So you'll see in, in a lot of articles, they'll say, oh, you know, if a dog goes to 104, 105, 106 degrees um, in the body temperature, your dog's at risk or your dog's, you know, it's like a, you know, lethal temperature. And research on working dogs have shown that you might have a dog working and they have a 106 degree body temperature and the dog is acting normal and recovers fine. And then you may have another dog that has a 106 degree body temperature and that dog is like full on heat stroke. So um, you can't go just by body temperature alone. And um, one of the, and, and I mean, most people I know are not going around like sport dog people working. I don't, I don't know a lot of handlers that are going around carrying thermometers or the, the dogs, um, when they do the research, they have like this pill, the dog can swallow it and um, they actually pass it out um, after time and it, and it 
actually captures body core body temperature when it's going through the dog system. So um, to be honest, like I don't know people that are out there when they're just training who are regularly taking their dog's body temperature. I know some that is a, is a part of the regular practice, but most of the people I know, they're not going by body temperature anyways. But do know that just a, a high body temperature does not necessarily mean, oh my gosh, my dog's suffering from heat, heat stroke. You wanna look at all of the other signs. And then a big, big key thing here is how quickly is that body temperature coming down? So you might have a dog that's working at 106 degrees or working at 105, working at a high body temperature. And that dog is, is like, the body temperature stays up there and the dog's suffering. You might have another dog where the body temperature gets really high and spikes high and the dog continues working and the dog works fine and the dog and the temperature then quickly can come back down. So I pay really close attention to my dog's um, overall appearance of how he externally shows that he's experiencing the distress from the heat, whatever training or exercise we're doing. And I pay really close attention to how quickly my dog's temperature comes down. And when I say temperature, I'm not actually taking a thermometer, but I'm looking at his panting, I'm looking at the color of his ears, I'm looking at his overall demeanor, and how quickly does it come back to what is normal for him. And one of the things that I always notice in the springtime, whenever we haven't done a lot of training in the winter, is I, know, I most definitely noticed when we were competing in protection sports in the springtime, his body condition was not as good because we had just gone through winter and I saw it because his recovery time from the heat and just from exercise, it took him a lot longer to recover. So a dog that's not as fit, it's gonna be more slow to recover. And also that's something to look at. Um, the body temperature alone is not something you're gonna be looking at. Um, yes, Amelia, we're gonna be talking about what can happen um, hours later. You are right right on target there. Um, I have a, I don't know if it's here or in another slide. I actually think it might be on this slide. Um, body temperature may be unstable. Yes, <laughs> Amelia, you, you, you just read my mind. Um, the body temperature may be unstable for hours to days uh, after heat injury. It could actually, you could have like 96 hours after. Um, it, it's not just immediate. You're, you may think your dog looks fine and your dog may actually be showing signs of the impact, negative impact of the heat 24 hours, 48 hours. It could be a few days, three days later. And um, I've got an example of this. I was training up in uh, upstate New York and it was in the summer and uh, it was a warm day. So I made a point that I trained my dog early in the morning. He was one of the first dogs that trained because I knew it was going to get warm out. We trained Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I kept him in the shade, um, a lot of water. He was uh, working well, hydrated really well. No signs of distress Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He acted totally normal. I drove about, uh, it was about a five hour drive home. Um, he was fine that night. He ate his dinner. Every, everything seemed normal. The next day when I got him up in the morning, normally when I get him up in the morning, he acts like a maniac. He's like running around. Well, he wasn't all full of energy. He's just kind of like, ah, da, 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 da. and I was like, well, that's kind of odd. He's not bouncing off the walls. Then I went and I gave him his breakfast. He, he didn't eat his breakfast. And I was like, okay, that's not, that's not normal. <laughs> um, he wasn't, he was drinking some water the night before, but the uh, Monday morning, he, he wasn't drinking water first thing in the morning. He didn't eat his breakfast. I took him out first thing in the morning to go to the bathroom. When I brought him into the house, we had two little steps going into the house. He tripped over the steps and he actually tripped twice. I took him in and out of the house. I think once or twice, he tripped down the steps and he tripped coming back up. And I was like, okay, this is really odd. Like my young Malinois, who's very fit and, and athletic, he does not normally trip on the stairs. And that was a that was that in combination with the other stuff was a red flag for me. I I immediately put him in the car. I was like, this is not normal. Um, he's not eating, he he's kind of stumbling. Not bad. It was just stumble on the on the stairs. He seemed to be pretty stable on his feet. And I um, immediately took him into the emergency room. They said that he was mildly dehydrated. It, he, it wasn't severe, but they said it's good you brought him in. Um, they gave him some subcutaneous fluids. Within an hour, an hour and a half, he started um, act, kind of acting his normal self. But um, this, you know, this was um, this was 24 hours after about a little bit less than 24 hours after our third day of training, and then. It took him over a week. I mean, he wasn't, that's another thing is when you have the effects that you can't have permanent damage from heat stroke. 
Um, but also just recovering from the heat distress. Um, his wasn't like ser super serious. It was mildly dehydrated. He, he might've been fine if I didn't take him into the emergency room, but it definitely helps, you know, it, it would have depended on if he would have gone back to drinking water and stuff like that, but it definitely helps to speed up the process to give him the subcutaneous fl fluids. Um, but I would say, um, the effects of that, um, of that weekend just having, and he wasn't in heat stroke. It was just some, he had some, it was, he was definitely had some heat distress there. And I would say he wasn't quite himself um, for at least a week. Um, I mean, he was, you know, full of energy and stuff, but he he, he was not 100% himself. It took a number of days for him to get back to normal. So, um, so yeah, Amelia, um, um, seizures and other side effects from this can occur um, days later. So what I tell people after I experienced this is um, when you're training, let's say that you have a, you're doing a long search in the heat. You have, even if it's not hot outside and you had a real big training weekend, watch your dogs really, really closely over the next few days, especially if you're working your dog harder than normal or if the temperatures are a little bit warmer than normal or just warm. Um, but like I said, temp outdoor temperature is not the determining factor. Your dog can suffer from this when it's cooler outside. And also being dehydrated greatly puts your dog at a greater risk of um, heat stroke because the body is not cooling it. The body is not cooling and functioning as the kind of like the temperature gauge is not working as well. So, um, so keep your dog hydrated, but watch your dogs. Anytime you do any strenuous training um, days to day, back to back, um, you know, you're, it's a little bit warmer outside your dog, you know, seems to be stressing a little bit in, in the heat that day watch your dog over the next few days and watch your dog carefully. Um, so that is um, something to be aware of. Um, Charlie said, you carry a large bottle of rubbing alcohol. Oh, a fan. Yes, fans are great. Keeping the airflow moving. Barb says, do you think the recovery supplements given before, during, and after help? Um, the, um, the, the, the biggest thing is keeping your dog hydrated and keeping the body cool. So we have different supplements, like you have supplements when they're training really hard to replenish, you know, you have supplements with like protein and carbs and fats in them. Research definitely shows that supplements um, can help your dog recover faster from exercise, just general recovery. But when it comes to actually cooling the body off, um, you know, if your dog's uh, overheating, just simply giving them some extra carbs and protein and stuff like that. Number one is you want to have them hydrated, definitely have them hydrated. And you definitely want to keep that body temperature monitored and not let them get overheated um, body temperature wise. But we do know that supplements um, in the overall re exercise recovery process, we do know that dogs can recover faster um, uh, get their body temperature. It can impact their, just everything in their body whenever they're bouncing back up from exercise. So, um, so it, it, it can help a dog overall recover from exercise, but you still have those initial, um, issues of controlling the body temperature, keeping the body temperature down, keeping the dog hydrated. That's, that's really important. Also, he, he, one way how it also can really help is some dogs, people really struggle to get the dogs to drink water. And I know some dogs, when they get excited or there are competitions, they're stressed, or some dogs, it's just hard. You know, I've heard of people, I've talked to a couple of people with um, whippets and they're like, you know, our whippets, they just, when they take them out doing fly ball, they just won't drink water. So one of the things that helps um, is they do show some, have some research that shows that when they add supplements to, um, um, to, to the water, is that it can change the taste and it can make the dog want to drink water. So um, so definitely if you have a dog and you're having trouble just keeping that intake of water and keeping them hydrated, um, having those supplements to kind of entice the dog to have the dog take in more water definitely um, definitely can help. So, um, but, so uh, supplements and, and exercise recovery and supplements for exercise recovery, um, like I said, it, it definitely can help all around um, there is research on that. They do show, um, some of the studies show that, and this is also for humans too, um, the, the, the most effective way when you think of replenishing what they've lost through exercise and you look at, um, you know, for humans, they look at things like um, 
muscle recovery and stuff like that, they say to try to get that supplement into them within the first 20 to 30 minutes. Um, it's still effective. Um, it's just kind of the longer you wait. Uh, I just read some research on humans and um, it was showing like what percentage of that is kind of replenishing the body back to normal, what percentage uh, is working effectively. And definitely the closer you do it, within say the first 30 minutes of exercise, it has the biggest impact versus if you wait till, like for example, sometimes, you know, I would go train and I would wait until I come home and that's where my dog would get his dinner and his supplements and everything. Well, sometimes I have an hour or two hour drive home. So I would be better off giving that, giving some kind of supplementation before I put my dog in the car and, you know, spend two, three hours driving home. So so, um, yes, I've heard people, um, talk about the Pedialyte. One thing do not, um, dogs, dogs don't need to replenish electrolytes like humans. You don't want to give your dog like the human Gatorade. You don't want to be giving your dog stuff with the flavoring and all the sugar. Um, now if a dog, sometimes exercise can induce, um, diarrhea, if your dog is having diarrhea and vomiting, um, you know, if they're losing more than just, you know, thinking of water loss, that's where you might be looking at doing supplementation with other stuff. And, and your dog, you might see um, an impact on, say, electrolytes. It's not like they're going to go out and be sweating like humans and panting. And all of a sudden, you know, we need to replenish the electrolytes like we do with humans. Um, so um, it's not uh, giving them like human recovery drinks. That's not ideal. You want to do, um, do stuff that's um, more geared towards the canine. And definitely you don't want to be giving them all this flavored uh, sugar drinks <laughs> um, that like the humans do. So um, that is one of the things that we know for um, the, the body temperature. Definitely it, uh, know after exercise, immediately after exercise, it can't continue to rise and know that the effects of the heat, you can have days later and see that. Um, complications can arise up to 96 hours post-incident. Um, and then I also, I already talked about this research study. I've actually heard um, Dr. Cindy Otto and Dr. Janice Baker, both of them, um, um, talking about this research, but it's not unusual for the body temperature to continue to rise eight to 10 minutes or even more post-exercise. And then this is also one thing to keep in mind is when the body is suffering from um, heat distress and heat injury, what happens is the body is not able to cool itself off properly. Uh, it's like the, the thermostat's just not working properly. One thing to keep in mind is it's not working as well to cool off the, the body, but it's also not going to work as well to warm up the body. So sometimes what happens is when people start to um, externally cool off the dog and they're using you know outside ways to cool the dog's body down is if you keep cooling the body, cooling the body and the body temperature starts to come down is the if the self-regulation system, if it's not monitoring and able to control the, the body temperature well, then what may happen is the body temperature, you start to cool the dog down and it starts going lower and lower and lower. And then now you have the extreme. Now you have to warm the dog up because the body temperature dropped too low. So just be aware that when the when the body's not working properly and it's not regulating body temperature correctly, you potentially have the extremes. It's getting too hot and we cool it down and now it's cooling down too much and the body's not kind of resetting itself. So um, the first time I heard about that, I, I was like, well, I hadn't even thought about that. But if the body's not working properly, um, the extremes, it can be experiencing it from the extremes. So that, um, that was something interesting um, that I learned a, a, a while ago. Um, hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. You want to keep your dogs hydrated, um, hydrating them before, during, and after exercise. I know a lot of people, they get concerned about giving their dogs water and bloat. Um, there's a lot of real kind of inconclusive research on what exactly causes bloat. I'll just tell you my personal opinion. When at first I was real careful about giving my dogs water, um, when they were exercising because, you know, this fear of bloat, fear of bloat. But after I experienced some of the issues with my dog um, having the effects of the heat or getting wobbly on his feet, in those instances, my dog is more likely to die from heat stroke than from bloat. And so as I started doing more research and learning more about this, I was like, you know what? 
Um, I'm giving my dog water. I'm giving him while he's exercising. I'm not going to like just let him drink a whole bunch all at once, but I let him drink. I take it away, let him drink. I'll let him drink all throughout, you know, day, the day of training while in the middle of exercising, I'll take a break. I'll give him water. And, um, we do know that if the dog's drinking cool water, um, cold water that can also help in the cooling process. So I get cold, cold, I'll put, I went, um, candy, I went running yesterday and it was warm outside. We did a lot of walk, run, walk, run. And I had a big water bottle and I put ice in it. Um, and I made sure that I had really nice cold water for him to drink. And we would periodically stop on the trail and I'd give him ice water to drink. So, um, so I personally have just, um, through the years have decided you know, um, I, I, if my dog wants to drink water when we're exercising, I let him drink water. I do, like I said, I don't let him drink like a whole gallon all at once. I break it up, but I let him drink. I let him drink. If he wants water, he wants to take a sip and I'll stop on the trail and uh, I definitely give him water. Um, and, um, Charlie says, what about the volume you allow your dog? It's hard. I don't measure it. It's just like, I kind of just go by, I go by feel. I watch how he's drinking and I don't actually measure it. Um, part of it is also depending on how hot he is and how fast he's gulping it. My dogs aren't huge gulpers of water. Usually I'm trying to encourage them to drink more. So uh, it's not that often. Usually I, I give them water all throughout when I'm exercising or running or on the trail. So usually my dogs are kind of self-regulating and they'll drink a bit and then they will actually stop. And then I'll go down the trail. If I think they didn't get enough water, I'll be like, I'll go down the trail just a little bit more and I'll stop again and they'll drink. So usually my dogs, um, they kind of self-regulate and I'm not really having to make them stop drinking. Um, Bocce, once in a blue moon, he's just like gulp, gulp, gulp. And I'll be like, okay, um, let me just wait a few minutes and I'll give you a little bit more. But I don't actually measure it, so I can't say. Um, but um, that's kind of, again, like go um, knowing my dogs. Like I know what my dog's normal. If my dog's hanging out in the house and Bocce tends to drink a lot of water. If he's just hanging out around the house and goes to drink, he spends some time, you know, drinking. Knox, what is normal for him is not like that. So that also goes to what is normal for your dog. So what is normal for how Bocce drinks water is, um, would be in excess of what's normal for Knox. So part of that is I, I kind of know my dogs and I know what is normal and then how much looks kind of to excess. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't actually measure it. I just kind of go by knowing my dogs, <laughs> um, what, by basing on what is normal knowing what is normal when they're not hot and what is normal hanging out home. Um, and also uh, um, my years of training them as I know when they're really, really hot and how they're managing the water. But usually, um, usually I'm trying to entice them to drink a little more rather than taking it away. Um, so some additional cautions. Now, these are some of the things, there are a lot of different signs of things to be watching for. And um, one of the best things of how do you prevent um, heat distress? How, heat injury, heat stroke, the, the best ways to pre prevent it is have a fit dog, keep your dog hydrated, know your dog well, observe and know the early signs. But a lot of these early signs and the, and the, the things that I'm going to share here, you don't ever want this to happen. Like you want to nip it in the bud before your dog ever gets to this point, right? So, um, uh, oh, John's saying, thank you for this. You have no idea how many people you see drag their pets through the trails when they want all, yeah, when the dog wants to go hide and seek shade. This is huge. A lot of people, um, the dogs, when they start seeking shade, a lot of people think the dog is being like obstinate and the dog's not listening to them. If your dog is out there seeking shade, you know, your dog is kind of indicating I'm hot <laughs> um, and, um, and, and listen to your dog. Yeah, I talked to a friend of mine, it was in Maine years ago, he was driving down the road and there, there was a, a person on the side of the road, their dog was collapsed and um, the, the dog was overheating and they were just clueless and they just kept walking and the dog nearly, my, my friend luckily helped save the dog, but it was, it was, um, it was entering heat stroke um, and uh, they were able to save it. But I heard another one. It was actually, um, my parents told me one of the neighbors um, a few years ago, they took their, I think it was a golden retriever out in South Carolina, took it out for a jog. Um, and uh, the dog died. The, they went jogging on a hot day. And, and like I said, the big thing is people don't, they're, they're not paying attention to their dogs or they're paying attention and they don't know the early signs. They don't know this. 
So these are some of the things to watch for, but um, some of these, you know, you don't ever want to see it. it. A lot of these, if you've seen the signs, your dog's already in heat stroke and you've already missed it. You know, now you need to get to the emergency room as quickly as possible. Excessive panning, that's kind of the first thing is when my dog is kind of doing a harder excessive, you know, more than normal for a training day. Um, and this is where you really got to know your dog. What is normal? What where can you look at your dog and know what is a normal hard day of work of training? Excess panting versus excess panting that is like totally not normal for your dog. But excessive panting, definitely watching the panting, um, the shape of the tongue. So whenever a dog, uh, they're using their panting and um, to help cool them off and also the airflow, thinking about the, when the tongue really comes wide and, and kind of scoops out, the longer the tongue, the wider the tongue, because you're getting the airflow over the tongue and over the, you know, through the mouth, through the panting that is helping to cool the dog off. So if a dog is just a little bit hot, their tongue's not going to be hanging out as long. It's not going to be as wide. Their mouth is not going to be as open. When you see the dog, the breathing changes, you'll see them where their mouth is actually wider. They get little creases in their eye. They get the big wide mouth. Um, you'll, you'll actually see them. If you see them where they open big gaping mouth and they, they, their head is like up in the air, their nose is up, just trying to get the mouth open as wide as possible to get that airflow in the panting. So you're watching the excessive panting, but you're also looking at how your dog pants. What is normal for your dog panting? Pay attention to the shape of the tongue, the length of the tongue. Also hypersalivation, a lot of salivating, a lot of, you know, say if your dog's drooling a lot, but also the opposite, if your dog is really getting into the danger zone, you may actually see where the dog is not producing much, much saliva. You, you, might, you might actually see instead of being like a, a stream of saliva, it actually starts to get um, uh, thick. And you may actually see a decrease of salivation from the dog. And like I said, when you start getting like, you're not seeing any of that happening and the dog's panting, that can definitely be where you you're definitely hit a danger zone. So just be aware. Some people might think that, oh, my dog's not drooling and, you know, he's not really salivating when he's when he's doing the panting. But that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, and then also looking at the consistency again, you know, sometimes when they're drooling, it's just kind of running almost like water. And then other times it's real thick. And so looking at the change also of that um, changes in gum color. I was reading one study like it can be you can have the gum color get really, really, really red, a lot redder than normal, or it can get grayish, it can get blue, but know what is your dog's gum color on a normal day of training. Um, so anything that's different and off from normal for your dog is something you wanna pay close attention to. Um, another thing that I notice in my dogs, um, and it differs in my two dogs, is the color of the inside of their ears. So my one dog, when he starts to overheat, the inside of his ears get bright, 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 bright pink. And I really can judge by the color of the inside of his ear when I know we need to stop, we need to cool off. My other dog, he doesn't have the, the change of color like that, not that extreme. So my other dog, if I worked him until the ears changed as pink as my, my younger dog, like he would already be in heat stroke. So there's, there's little kind of unique things that you might notice in your dog that are your ind individual signs of what's, what's abnormal for your dog. So that's one of the things I learned is um, my one dog, he, his, his breathing changes just like I told you. He'll have the wide mouth, nose up in the air, the, the tongue, everything completely, you know, is very extreme in the change. My other dog, um, when, he, when he got wobbly on his feet or he had the issues with the heat, I never ever saw him gasping for air like Bocce has done. So if he was gasping for air like Bocce, like he would already be in heat stroke. So it's really knowing your dog also, but these are some, some common things to look for. Muscle tremors, listlessness, unsteadiness on feet. They, they look dizzy, disoriented. I've seen that with Knox um, where he was unsteady on his feet vomiting, diarrhea, collapse, seizures, um, and they can die from this. So these are just um, some of the many types of things that you want to be watching for. Another thing that I noticed with um, a couple of things I noticed when my dogs are really feeling the stress of the heat is they're not as responsive to my commands. So I've been on the training field and one time I, my dog just wasn't listening to me. So I was saying, you know, sit. He wasn't sitting. I was like, sit, sit. He wasn't sitting. 
my trainer was fussing at me. He's like, your dog's blowing you off. And I'm like, no, my dog's like overheating. <laughs> my dog is really hot. And um, I could totally relate because I, I related it to one day when I was doing boxing in the gym and there was no air conditioning. It was like 90 degrees in the gym. I was overheating and my, my instructor was giving me a whole order. I like 15 to 20. Um, uh, I was supposed to do a series of different um, punches in a row. And so I had to remember like 10 different punches, a combinations in a row. He would say it and then I would blank like my brain. I just wasn't thinking I was I was hot. I was trying to cool off. He would tell it again. And I, I'd be like the minute he repeated the combination, I couldn't remember what he just said. My brain just was not as 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 active as whenever I'm nice and fresh and feeling good. And so um, I noticed that when my dogs, especially Knox, when he's feeling the heat, um, he responds slower. It's like his brain is like two steps behind. And I see a lot of people, they'll think that the dog is blowing them off or the dog is ignoring them. And for me, my, inst my, my, inst my instructor at the time, the trainer, he was like getting angry at me because he was thinking that I was not, that I was letting my dog blow me off. I know my dog. And I said, no, no, um, he's hot and I need to get my dog cooled off. So, um, so that's one of the things that I noticed. And then when he gets into that stage where he's starting to really feel the effects of the heat is he doesn't respond as quickly to my, to my commands, whatever I'm asking him to do. He's not as bright eyed. And sometimes their eyes can even look just, just kind of glazed. Like they're not really making that focal eye contact with you. So, you know, little things like that to, to observe it's, it's and, um, and some people who don't know my dogs, they might not even, they might not even see those signs. Um, and then another thing is when you're working with people, how many of you have people that work your dogs for you, like in protection sports and somebody's working on the other end of the dog? Um, I have to educate when he's doing bite work and he's biting on the sleeve. I see the back of my dog. Um, I, I don't see his face sometimes, but the decoy is looking right at my dog when he's biting the sleeve on the arm. And so when I train with a trainer, I educate them and I let them know. I say, hey, listen please keep an eye on the inside of my dog's ears because if they get bright, bright, bright pink, we need to, you know, we need to stop. And so um, a number of times I had to interfere and kind of let the trainer know or let the decoy know, hey, you know, my dog is starting to get overheating. We need to, to stop. If I had just left it on the trainer because he doesn't know my individual dog or know some of those subtle signs, he would have just kept working my dog. So, um, so I educate my trainer or the decoy and say, listen, when you're working my dog, just pay attention because when he's starting to overheat, these are things you need to um, keep an eye out for. So I educate the people who are working my dog. Um, and that was something that um, there were a couple times where I had to actually intervene and I had to say, we, we need to stop because my, my dog's is getting really hot. And um, the, the decoy would have, he would have just kept working my dog. And knowing my dog, he, he would have kept, we, we probably would have ended up in heat stroke because my dog was a type of dog. If you got a decoy in front, he would not have stopped. He would have kept going. Um, so um, Christina said, you trained this morning as soon as your dog's tongue goes into, yeah, that big kind of spatula shape and completely extended, you stop and take a break. Um, your dog stop and seek shade and you listen to them. Good, good, good. Erica said, you've seen too many people that won't stop and insist just one more rep. That one more rep, I let me tell you one more story here. This was years ago. Um, it was a dog, I think that was related to Bocce. Um, the, the owner was playing Chuck It. And um, it was kind of warm outside. I don't know the temperature there. It was, a, um, I think it was a Malinois. It was a high drive dog, a Malinois or Shepherd. They were playing Chuck It. And it was just exactly that. It was like, oh, let me just do one more. You know, let me just do one more. And they were thinking of stopping and they threw like one or two more and the dog went into heat stroke and the dog died. And the thing is, is that it literally can be because when you get into the verge of heat stroke, you know, there's a point where you can physically cool off your dog. But when they get to that point where they themselves, no matter what you do, no matter what, how cold the water is, um, they need medical intervention. And so it literally, your dog can be right on the verge and that one extra throw that you thought, meh, let's do one more throw. That one extra throw could put the dog over the edge. Um, and that, that I did see it, Erica, in that one example. I mean, we don't know if it was that one extra throw or two extra throws, 
but the way the the story was narrated back that um it it, it sounded like it, the person was kind of like eh you know do i do one more did, maybe i'll do a couple more and it actually did push the dog into heat stroke and the dog died um and it was through a chuck it game so um yeah so we mentioned uh the vomity diarrhea uh, collapse and seizures but again know your dog know your dog well and um and anything, even if I haven't mentioned it here, if it is something that is significantly, um, significantly different, abnormal for what is normal for your dog is a red flag, is something to pay attention to. So, um, so that's where I wanted, uh, that's what I wanted to cover today. I have a final slide here is, um, I've mentioned this a number of times on my Facebook lives, um, is the canine fitness quiz. And, um, you know, understanding um, heat, the signs of heat distress, heat stroke, preventing heat stroke is really, really important. But do you remember going back to one of the very first things, what did I say? One of the best ways to help prevent is have your dog fit and healthy, uh, proper weight, proper conditioning, fit and healthy. And um, if you want to know more about canine fitness, developing fitness programs, um, determining uh, what your dog needs fitness wise, how to balance those programs or know more about um, injury prevention, uh, supplementation, uh, exercise recovery, all of that. Um, take the canine fitness quiz and see what are some of the components of things that need to be considered and need to go into place when you're thinking about um, having that fit dog that is constantly able to work at uh, peak performance, minimizing the risk of injury, minimizing the risk of heat distress. If you haven't taken it, um, hop on over. It'll, it'll email you a summary of your results and you can see the categories that are your strengths and weaknesses. Um, as caninefitnessquiz.com, the letter K, the number nine, fitnessquiz.com. And then also, I haven't shared this in a while, but I have a, a canine, uh, it's called the Canine Fitness Planning Guide. And I'm going to throw uh, in a link for if you want to download it. But it's a canine fitness planning guide. It just gives you some tips on having you think about what are you what do you currently do for cardio for your dog what do you currently do for strength training or body awareness and it has the different categories for you to reflect upon what you know do you even do anything for stretching right now and it's a good thing for you to kind of reflect upon what are you doing now and what what needs to be added to your program nobody has the perfect fitness program we all have areas that we do, you know, we might be doing well in, but there, all of us, there's going to be areas that we can improve upon. So the canine fitness planning guide is also something that um, could help you to kind of identify, stop and reflect and think about, wow, I'm doing really great with cardio, but I'm not doing so great with strength training, or I'm doing really great with um, strength training and cardio, but I'm ignoring flexibility and body awareness. So it's just a nice little um, kind of a worksheet. It's multiple pages, some questions, has some areas for you to fill in um, to, to do some brainstorming on what you might be able to do differently to help your dog get into a better condition. And then again, if you're wanting to know more about the components and what goes into having a fit and healthy dog, take the canine fitness quiz. And then uh, if you're wanting to know, if you want to learn more that goes beyond these Facebook lives and you want to learn more about um, assessing your dog's needs, uh, physical, structural strengths and weaknesses and building fitness programs, you can check out uh, my website at northeastcanineconditioning.com. I'll throw that in the below for you to get that URL and check out some of the programs that we offer. And we have a certification program, um, online programs, social distancing. Uh, you can do it in the comfort of your own home. <laughs> um, and I just put the put the link down there. Uh, so yeah, Charlie said, uh, yeah, uh, Dr. Uh, Janice Baker, the video, the veterinary tactical group, um, she's got a, a great webinar there on heat injuries. Uh, like I said, they do great stuff. The veterinary tactical group, they do, um, I've done a face to face, I think it was a two or three day workshop there. And, uh, if you ever get a chance to learn from them, uh, amazing group of people, they're located in North Carolina but they travel all over. Um, I went to one of their workshops in North Carolina. So cool. So we covered a lot today. This is such an important topic. Please, please, please share it with others because it literally can save lives. Um, it, it's education, educating people that's gonna save lives. So um, if you're watching the video replay, please feel free, pass it along. Like I said, it, it, it can make a huge difference and save a life. And um, 
uh, ask questions, reach out to me. If you have questions, comment. I have this in different places on, on Facebook and social media. If I don't see comments or questions now, I will go back and I will check them out. I'll answer questions for you. Um, I actually forgot to introduce myself, I think, but my name is Erica Bowling. <laughs> um, I am the owner and founder of Northeast Canine Conditioning, and I am here, my Northeast Canine Conditioning Facebook business page every Friday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time is when I go live. You can go to my Facebook business page, Northeast Canine Conditioning, and you can um, go to videos, see a lot of my video replays. I've got over, I think, 140 episodes of canine fitness and business topics. So if you have a desire to learn, we have a lot of ways to help you. So um, check out my website, check out Facebook, and most definitely feel free to reach out to me if you're interested in learning more, want to know more about our programs. So Giselle, thank you for joining us tonight. Christina, thank you. Any questions before we go? Watch your dogs, watch, watch your dogs like a hawk. Be prepared, always be prepared. Water in the car, know where the, um, you know, if you're on the road, know where's the closest emergency room. If you're training somewhere without water, um, pack up your car, um, have a cooler with ice and water. Always be prepared. You don't wanna be um, caught off guard, so. Yes, thanks, Giselle. Giselle. Giselle's in our um, in our uh, elite canine athlete program. We have a number of you here joining us. Thank you. Yeah, great having you here too. All right, you guys. If there's no questions, thank you, Charlie. No questions. Okay, guys, check it out. Oh, let me know if you want the slides. Just let me know, um, and I'll reach out or message me your email, and I will send you the PDF slides. I can get that to you. So let me know if you want to have the slides from today. So, all right, you guys. Thanks so much. Stay safe. Keep your dogs safe. Keep them hydrated. And I'll see you next Friday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on my Northeast Canine Conditioning Facebook business page. Bye-bye for now.